Yeah. And it makes me crazy, but what can you do? They're getting along and they're yeah. getting through it. So and you might want to check with ann too because i sent her uh, an interview that my daughter did oh uh and uh i didn't send it to both of you i didn't send it to people's phones but i wasn't sure what your data thing was oh yeah so i sent her an email <laughs> yeah good because we both got the flip phones and so sometimes we don't no i get it and so but she's got it okay cool so we'll check that out. i'm sure she'll film it. yeah i'm pretty proud of it good all right Yes. A diamond is forever. 
De Beers, yeah, De Beers, nice. All right, here's another easy one. Finger licking good. KFC. KFC, the artist formerly known as Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes. Uh, the Breakfast of Champions. Wheaties. Wheaties. I, do they still make Wheaties? Yeah, I think so. Okay, they do. Anybody eat Wheaties? You love Wheaties, <laughs> but can anybody really love Wheaties? So just put that sugar. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Is it, then, it's, then when you put too much sugar on it, it's the breakfast of the runner. Uh, all right, this is an older one, but where's the beef? Wendy's. Super effective ad campaign. Good to the last drop? Maxwell. Maxwell House. Anybody have that this morning? No. <laughs> we'll take the word for it. Uh, melts in your mouth, not in your hands. MMs. The ultimate driving machine. BMW? BMW, yeah, BMW. Uh, Ford? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and then think different. Tough one. Anybody? I'm using, I'm using one of their uh, tools right now. Apple. 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 Think different. Why is it the brands insist on having slogans? Why is it that? from Nike to Apple to KFC, all of these, why is it they, they want to have some kind of slogan? I mean, it seems like it's unnecessary, but how does it serve them? What's the purpose that it has? Gets you to remember the product. Gets you to remember what? Gets you to remember their product. I mean, evidently. <laughs> yeah. Anything, anything beyond that or anything other, other ways you put that? It is kind of disturbing how get, these things get lodged into your brain. You're like, I can't remember my kid's name sometimes, and yet I can remember, you know, the slogan for Nike, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they, they want that headspace, obviously. They want to get that in there, keep, keep their name remembered in you. But I think I find it also interesting, and this is why I bring it up, they're able to state in a few words some kind of catchphrase or something that really gives you a hook into their message or into their marketing. It doesn't say everything, obviously. Sometimes it doesn't even say anything about cereal, for example. Um, but it's still, it says something that gets you thinking, that connects it to the larger message. And uh, we're gonna conclude today's study by talking about not how we can have a slogan for the church. And one of the things I wanna say here is that we're not selling Jesus. But that is really helpful to have a simple and succinct stating the gospel. And so we'll talk about that and maybe even practice that a little bit time permitting. All right, number two on your handout then. Witness is the discipline of testifying to the gospel. Very simple. Witness is the, the discipline of testifying to the gospel. So last week we talked about mercy. And mercy is very much the, the spiritual discipline of showing the compassion of Christ through our deeds, through our actions, through the things that we do. But as we alluded to last week, there is another side to that as well. And I would say it's witness. In many ways, these are two sides of the same coin. See, witness is now testifying to the gospel with words. Mercy uses deeds. Uh, witness uses word. They are effective when they are joined together, right? When mercy is joined with the proclamation of the gospel, when the proclamation of the gospel has also joined with loving, caring actions. I mean, that makes sense, right? Intuitively, we all understand that just have one or the other, then ultimately it's going to kind of fall flat or it's not going to be able to, to bring it home quite as effectively. But the word for testimony, and we looked at this for many of our disciplines, the Greek is a fascinating one. Maybe you've heard this before. 
The word for witness is martyria, martyria. And of course you hear in there, martyr, martyr. Uh, and it's root, its original meaning was just evidence or testimony. But the fact that it has that root in there of martyria and the word martyr came later, but that underscores the fact that the witness of Christians through the ages has often come through what? Suffering and, and even death. Uh, that that is many times the boldest, most powerful witness to the gospel. So how are we going to get ourselves killed for Jesus? No, that's not a Bible study today. It's not a Bible study. We witness in ways large and small all the time, but I think it is just important to, to recognize that, and the New Testament is very clear about this, that, hey, their suffering is many times uh, comes part and parcel with following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus, not to shrink back from it. St. Peter says, don't be surprised by it, but that in the midst of it, God is able to bring glory to himself through that. You guys are looking for handouts, you're coming in and right on the podium there by the, by the poems. Um, let me give you just a couple of verses that speak to uh, this definition of witness. First John chapter one, John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What do you notice right off the bat there? What is John kind of appealing to? Like all of the senses, right? We've, we've looked, we've touched, we've, I mean, it doesn't say we've smelled the word of life, but he might've said that. Um, it's, it's very, uh, sen uh, not sensitive, but uh, sensory. sensory, thank you. Also very sensitive. Uh, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay. So here's kind of the, just a banner passage for what it means to witness. He's, John is simply testifying to what he has seen and heard. He's not manipulating. He's not even trying to persuade, per se. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. All he wants to do is it says, look, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. I've just got, I've got to tell you as well. That's just a straightforward kind of witness. And Jesus said, says this. These are, in fact, the Lord's last words on earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here you have embedded in that word from Jesus both a command and a promise, right? You will be my witnesses. We should hear that as a thou shalt. This is the marching orders from the Savior before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. You will be my witnesses. But there's also in there the promise. See, you will be my witnesses. You will. Whether you want to be or not, whether you're trying to be, still I am going to use you. You will be my witnesses. In this connection, I often uh, like to go back to the Old Testament story of Jonah, right? Remember the story of Jonah. God says, all right, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and bear witness. And Jonah says, yeah, how about I don't? <laughs> how about I go in the other direction? And so he does, and he gets on a boat, and he's, he's sailing away, and then there's a the big storm, and uh, there's all the other sailors on the boat. They're trying to figure out. It's, it's kind of a funny scene, actually. They're all trying to figure out, all right, who wronged their God, okay? You know, who, who messed this up? And now we've got this storm coming after us, but, Frank, was it you? No, man, I'm good. Bob, no, uh-uh. 
You know, just kind of running through. And then finally, what about that new guy we got? He seemed to be in a hurry. Anybody seen him? Well, yeah, he's sleeping under the deck. They go away. Go, Jonah, Jonah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Where are you from? No, uh, you know, who do you worship? Oh, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, great. Jonah, what have you done? What did you do? And, you know, he owns up to all of it. He said, guys, I'm sorry. Okay, the big storm, it's my fault. Tells them the story. But then do you remember what he tells them to do? Throw them overboard. And their response to that is what? At first they say, no, we don't, we shouldn't do that. We don't, we don't want to incur even greater wrath. And then the storm keeps going and finally they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so they do. So, um, sorry, long wind device. I love the story. They finally do. They throw him overboard. And what happens to the storm? It stops. And all those sailors who were pagans worshiping all sorts of false gods, what do they do when that happens? They bow down and they worship the God of Israel. Jonah, you will be my witness whether you intend it or not. I will use even your bad example for the sake of my kingdom. There's great encouragement there. It's an admonishment too. Like, don't be like Jonah, don't run away. But at the same time, but don't worry either. God is going to use you. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. That promise is the bedrock and undergirds everything else when we talk about witness. Because if we have the sense that unless we witness constantly or effectively, then all the world is going to be lost. That is a counsel for despair. But if we, if we believe and have confidence that God is the one who's going to take care of it, he is just fulfilling his promise, that he's going to use us one way or another, then we can freely and joyfully go about life and just wait and see what God's going to be up to and join him in his work. Make sense? All right, so let me say then, Number three on your handout, I think. The witness is not selling the gospel. And understand, I mean no disrespect to salesmen. I think it's a noble and honorable vocation. But I want to make clear that witness, when we witness, we are not trying to sell the gospel. Instead, we are simply testifying to what we have come to believe to be true, what we have seen and heard. You've got the story of the woman of Samaria, right? the woman at the well. Jesus goes and he speaks to her. And I mean, you remember the whole story. But then afterward, at the end of that, she runs away. She runs back to her hometown. And it says this in John 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony from Marjoria. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. But we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. She didn't need to sell them on it. She didn't have to persuade them. Just today, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you can have the seat in the front pew, or more like the back pew, right? If just today, right? This is the deal. No, there's no selling of the gospel. This is what I've seen and heard. This man told me all that I ever did. And then they come to believe. So let me give you a, uh, a quick rough and ready. This is uh, unscientific, but... A contrast between being Jesus' witnesses and Jesus' salespeople. 
I will do a quick sales pitch here though, not for the gospel per se, but for our neighborhood ambassador training. So this is a lot of the stuff I'm just lifting right from our neighborhood ambassador training, where we draw from the teaching of Pastor Greg Finke, who's going to be coming to Arcadia, to our church in June. Um, more details to come on that, excited about it. But um, he, he introduces this contrast. It says, we're not Jesus salespeople, we're Jesus witnesses, okay? So let me just give you a few contrasts between these two. First of all, Jesus witnesses recognize that we are on mission with him. You and I, we are on mission with him. And again, you go back to uh, the prayer of St. Patrick from a week or two ago, um, Christ within me, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ beneath me, recognizing Jesus goes before us. He's, he's out ahead of us, right? It's not like we get to some place, we get to our our job, or we get to our home, we get to our community. We're like, man, I wish Jesus would show up here because I keep having to witness to all these people. And when is he going to get? When is he going to show up? Just the opposite. Jesus goes before us. He's already out in front, and then he's like, hey, you guys want in on this? Like, this is really fun. You want to be a part of this? The kingdom of God comes indeed even without our prayers. It says in the small catechism, but we pray that it might come to us also. That's the posture of Jesus' witnesses. But Jesus' salespeople think we have to be on mission for him. Be on mission for him. One little preposition, but it makes a big difference. You think you're on mission for Jesus, then it's like, I mean, it's such a burden to bear. Such a burden to bear. Um, in connection with this, I've, I recount some of my experiences in college. I got involved with the campus ministry there, um, which did much good. But one thing that was not so good is it really, it thrived on guilt trips, thrived on guilt trips, where I was uh, constantly being told, oh, Ryan, Mark, you're playing video games? Like, why aren't you out? There's more doors that you could be knocking on right now, which is something that we would do, right? Knocking on people's doors in the dorm rooms Friday night. If you died tonight, you know, would you go to be with Jesus? Which people love to get that question on Friday night in the dorms. I'll tell you what, super popular guy. Yeah. Why aren't you doing more? You could always be doing more. And it very much had this mentality. We got to be Jesus salespeople. We got to get out there on mission for him. Because if we don't, what's going to happen? No, we are on mission with him. Second contrast, from uh, the perspective of Jesus' witnesses, the results belong to God. The fruit belongs to him. According to a Jesus salespeople, the results belong to you. And that could be um, appealing because, you know, that can really boost your confidence. Think, all right, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm out there saving the world. Uh, Richard John Newhouse uh, tells a story. There was a famous preacher, Catholic preacher, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, okay, um, many years ago. And there was a young priest who really regarded himself as a dynamic capable evangelist. And he wanted to learn from the great Bishop Sheen, who was in his later years and he was just kind of laid up. And uh, he goes and he talks to Bishop Sheen and he says, I want to be just like you. I want to be a great evangelist and a winner of souls. I've already saved this, that, all, all these people. And, you know, I, I, can, I can count up 16, 17 already. So do you have any advice for me on how I can be more of a soul winner? And Bishop Sheen just kind of does aside <sighs> he says here's the first thing stop counting stop counting this is the young man in his zeal 
was thinking the results belong to me. And uh, apart from just the, the falsity of that, ultimately it's gonna lead to a crash because you're gonna think, well, why aren't more people being saved? Why aren't more coming to know Christ? And you guys have heard me this, tell a story before my time in Thailand and how I, you know, I really fell into this because it was frustrating. I saw zero people baptized in my whole year as a missionary. Uh, the results strictly belonged to me and it would be utterly depressed, but the results belong to God in his way and in his time. Thirdly, Jesus witnesses grace. Jesus sales people works. should put that one first. That's the most fundamental kind of divide. As Jesus witnesses, we recognize it's all grace. As Jesus sales people, well, it's up to your works. Jesus witnesses, here's the message. Here's what I've seen and heard, take it or leave. You are not responsible for the conversion of others. You're responsible to them, to share what you have seen and heard, but you're not responsible for them. See, that little distinction, which I've really only come to recently, is, oh, that brings such freedom. Okay, can I just digress here for a minute? Think about this with kids. Like, constantly with kids, this is my soapbox, uh, where I feel like I want them to act a certain way, I want them to do it. But then that's where I get into this mindset where I, I now I'm responsible for their behavior. And I realize, no, I'm not behavior. They're kids. They're little people. They're going to make their own decisions and consequences. I'm not saying let them run out into the middle of the road when the car's coming. There's so many things that I feel like I have to like micromanage. No, I'm responsible to them, to teach them, to show them, to let them know, hey, there's consequences for this. Don't have to figure it all out. This is, this is just true across so many areas of life. Responsible for versus responsible to. All right, end of digression. We are not responsible for the conversion or salvation of others. We're responsible to them to be faithful with what we have heard and believed. See? And so the Jesus salesperson is constantly like, believe this or else, right? <laughs> you, you, better, you better do it. People know when you're making them a project. People know that. They sense if you're not like really loving them and wanting to build a relationship with them, but you're just like, let me tell you about Jesus. They can see right through that, and rightfully so, and rightfully so. It's not our calling to sell them. Jesus witnesses, no pressure. Jesus sales people, high pressure. Got to close the deal. Be a Jesus witness is energizing because we get to participate in what God's already doing, and we, the pressure's all off. But to be a Jesus salesperson is exhausting. All right, I just threw a lot out at you to talk about exhausting, okay? Uh, but thoughts or questions, comments about any of those, or just that basic distinction between witnesses and salespeople. Again, with all due respect to salespeople, and there's a way to be a sleazy salesperson. There's a way to be a caring, kind salesperson too. Maybe that's another sub-distinction, okay? But here's how I'm setting it. So, clear? All right, good. Clear as mud. All right. So then following along with this, witness number four is simpler than we often think. It's simpler than we often think. So we think, oh gosh, if I'm going to share the gospel with people, if I'm going to bear witness, then, you know, I've, I got to know all the answers. They're going to ask me stuff and I'm not going to know the answer to it, right? And what, what then? I'm going to look like a fool. I'm not going to do justice to God and his truth. And I'm here to tell you that's not the case. It's not the case. I mean, rare if ever in my life have I, if I gotten a question from somebody and I said, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. And they say, ha, 
If that's the case, then they're probably not actually very receptive in the first place, right? For most people, they hear that, they see that, and they're like, oh, you also don't have it all figured out, right? Yes, we are fellow unfigured out people. That's why we need Jesus. There you go. That's your message right there. <laughs> that's what I'm unfigured out like you. I need Jesus. Seven words. Keep that in mind. Uh, it's simpler than we often think. I love the story of the man who was born blind. And uh, then Jesus heals him. And everybody's arguing about it. They're fighting. I mean, it really seems like a melodrama. Like, the religious leaders are running over to his parents. Like, I don't know. They're running over here. What do you know? I don't know. And meanwhile, the, the guy who was blind is just standing there the whole time. Like, hey, anybody want to talk to me? So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You should put that in a hymn, actually. <laughs> no, that's not um, they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. What do you want to, why do you want to hear it again? You also want to become his disciples? Here's a guy who recognizes he's not responsible for them. He's responsible to them. Here, I, I told you, what do you... Do you want to become his disciple? Fine. They reviled him saying, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, now he's just kind of having fun. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, Ah, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him. Cautionary tale there too, right? Now, if I were kind of coaching this guy a little bit, I'd say, okay, don't, you're, you're kind of pushing him a little bit. You're pushing him a little bit. But be that as it may, recognize, hey, sometimes, many times, you bear witness and people are like, yeah, not yet. I don't think so. It's okay. It's God's work. First Peter, Peter says, and we brought up this verse last week in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect okay so we talked about this before but what is what is peter presupposing with that verse what is he assuming is the case when he puts it that way always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you one, you're going to be asked. You're going to be asked. Exactly. And this goes right along to Jesus's words. You will be my witnesses. It goes along with that promise. You will be asked. Okay. It's not for you to like, dupe people or trick people. You will be asked. What is it? What you are responsible for is when they do ask, then to give, to give a defense, give a reason for the hope that is in you. And this doesn't have to be some kind of highfalutin theological treatise. In fact, if you do that, I almost promise you that it'll fall on deaf ears, right? The most effective witness is, is personal, is saying, hey, look, this is, this is what I've seen and heard. Um, use an analogy again from my, my time in Thailand, but not as a missionary. When um, my formal uh, job, as it were, going over as a, was not as a missionary. My formal job was as an ESL teacher teaching English as a second language, okay? I was not an, a an ESL major. I was not an English major. 
in college. I was a sociology major. That's why I had to become a pastor, because I couldn't get any other jobs. <laughs> Joke never gets old. Uh, the Department of Sociology at MSU isn't crazy about it. But, um, so I was going to, you're going to teach ESL. Okay, don't worry. We're going to give you two weeks of training. <laughs> okay, good. You know, sub note with that, that's how I met Ann, so it all worked out for the best. Okay? Um, but they give you a little bit of training. But one of the things that, that we learned in that training, the biggest point, the biggest takeaway is look, you're going to be going to people. And if you guys have traveled to basically any country, you know this is the case. You're going to be going places, they already know English pretty well. Okay. They, they've been learning it they, uh, from the time they were in elementary school, they had to learn English. They can tell you stuff about grammar that you yourself probably can't explain. They can tell you what a split infinitive is, and what's the difference between a participle and a gerund. They know what a noun and a verb and all the grammar of English is. Here's what they don't know. What it sounds like to be a native English speaker. That's where you come in. Because you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be you because you know English because it's your heart language. That's what's most helpful for them. You know, many times I found what they wanted to know about the most were like our weird um, cliches and figures of speech and expressions, things that we don't even think twice about. And they'd be like, well, how do you put up with someone? What does that mean? You put up with them? You put them up somewhere? <laughs> you know? Like an elf on the shelf? You put up with them? Well, actually, maybe sometimes, but no. Um, the analogy to being witnesses is this. Faith is your heart language. Because you believe in the Lord, because he has taken hold of you, what people need are not folks who can explain the grammar and the mechanics of faith. You need people who can do that. That's why you have pastors. That's why you have theologians. why you have you know, uh, lay folks who are really well-versed in these things. It's important. Just like you need an English teacher, somebody's got to know how this thing works, right? But by and large, mostly what they need are folks for whom faith is a heart language. That's the privilege that we have as, as Christians as we go out into the world. Folks just want to, Rich Mullins, a great Christian musician, he said, what helped him with faith was not people who could explain the nuts and bolts to me, it's people who could be nuts and bolts. That's, we're nuts and bolts, see? Bunch of nuts, anyway, some bolts also. <laughs> Explain that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, how are we doing on time? I still haven't got my watch fixed. So. Uh, 10 30. 10 30? 10 33 or so. 10 33? Yeah. We'll go 10 30. like that. Yeah. We'll round down. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I preached on John 3 16 as a gospel in a nutshell. Incidentally, I read this week, we've got a little book on uh, white herrings or white elephants and red herrings. And it explains that it used to be the case that uh, they would use walnut shells and they would wrap up a little message, just what you could put on a slip of paper and put it in the walnut shell and send it along to keep it, keep it dry. That's where it comes from, in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and having a gospel in a nutshell can be a really effective tool for witness. Tell me about this hope that you have. Why, why do you believe that? I think the most effective tool can be just like the woman of Samaria, just telling a personal story. But it's, it's good to have some kind of anchor point in scripture, right? Some, some basis that you can kind of 
riff on, or that's kind of what you go back to when you're trying to convey or communicate the good news. Otherwise, you kind of stumble and you're like, uh, Jesus, <laughs> which you could do worse. You could do worse. But you're like, if you want to do a little bit more than that, um, it can be helpful to have a gospel in a nutshell at hand. Let me give you a few examples. There are probably, thank you, Terry. Um, there's probably two dozen of these or more just within the New Testament. Here's some of the most popular, most famous. So again, John 3.16, unpacked a few weeks ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You have a story of the gospel right there. The world is perishing. You are perishing. We all are. We see it all around us. Death is a reality that we cannot deny. It's because we're separated from God. But he, out of his great love, he, he's crazy about us. He's crazy about you. Well, I don't believe in Jesus. Doesn't matter. He loves you, right? He made you. God made you. He doesn't make junk. The poster set on my wall when I was a kid. He, he, he loves you. And out of his love, that's why he sent his son. He sent his son for me, for you. Why? So that you wouldn't perish, so that you wouldn't die eternally, so you wouldn't be separated from him, but instead have eternal life. Oh, that's interesting. John 3.16. Another one, great one, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's actually two verses, but not too much longer. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. One gets a little bit wordy, but I think especially if you stick to the first part of by grace you have been saved through faith. Then they might say, well, what is grace? What does that look like? Because grace does not come naturally in the world. Works, that makes sense, right? You get what you pay for. Grace, hmm, tell me more about this. So, you know, sometimes that takes a little bit more unpacking. But simply put, grace is we get what we don't deserve. Right? We get what we don't deserve. Matthew 11, uh, this is one of my personal favorites. I've got a business card, as it were. Uh, that has this verse on it. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He, he's the one that, he's, he's our blessed beast of burden. He's our pack mule. We put all of our cares, all of our sin, all of our worries. Jesus is like, are you carrying, why are you carrying that around? You know, be like a guy that you saw carrying a, uh, some uh, suitcase everywhere he goes. You go, and Jesus is like, can I, can I take that from you? No, I like my suitcase. I love my suitcase. I nurture my suitcase. I hold it so close. Jesus is like, just give, give me the suitcase. This is why I came to bear your burdens. You're carrying it. You don't need to. I'll give you one more. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. So another just beautiful, succinct statement of it. God doesn't save us when we were on our best day. Right? He didn't just happen to catch us when we were having a good day. And he's like, all right, I'll save these guys. While we were sinners, while we were literally in today's gospel, spitting in his face, he says, I'm laying down my life for you. Anybody else have a one that you think of or verse that maybe just a hard verse or one that you'd like to go back to or that really is meaningful to you? Like I said, when you got an eye for it, you see them all over the place. What'd you say, Hans? I got your stuff. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much. So here's what I wanted uh, to do with the rest of our time here and maybe just kind of send you with a, a little bit of an exercise here. 
the gospel in seven words. Um, Pastor Pete Nasker is at the seminary now. He, he gave this challenge of being able to say the gospel in seven words. We, we started out by talking about how valuable a slogan can be for a brand. Just do it, three words, okay? Can you convey the gospel in seven words or less? Convey the good, the good news. Um, now, there's further, uh, I won't say criteria, but other things to keep in mind. You know, having be Christ-centered, in other words, about Jesus. Problem solution tells you what's wrong, how Jesus fixes it. Biblical, right? You're not just making stuff up. God helps those who help themselves. Not a gospel nutshell. Don't do that. <laughs> it's a Ben Franklin nutshell. Personal, okay? Like, Pastor, that sounds really hard. You're just giving me all this stuff. I don't even know what half that stuff means. All right, let me just give you some examples. And this is from, I've, I've done this uh, in the past. So these are actual examples that other people came up with and, and shared with me. God, through Jesus Christ, welcomes you anyhow. I like that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. Okay. God through Jesus Christ welcomes you anyhow. Again, you're not trying to say everything here. It, it provokes curiosity, right? Maybe it's an entree into a conversation. Well, what do you mean anyhow? Because we've got no business being welcomed by him. In spite of our dirty feet, he still says, come on into my clean white heart, right? Um, in Christ, God's yes defeats our no. God's yes defeats Arnold. One, two, three, four, five, seven words again. Um, third one, this is kind of cheating. Well, it's not cheating, but this is from, this is a straight Bible verse from 2 Corinthians 5 somewhere. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Okay. This next one might sound a little bit funky, but it's a very early church kind of thing. Christ's humanity occasions our divinity. Uh, you know, theologically, I might have a little bit of sticking point there, but it sounds nice to me. Okay. Or even just simpler, we live by grace. Or we live by grace through faith. You know, kind of a paraphrase of, of Ephesians 2. So, here's what I want to try and uh, challenge you to do. Maybe it's later today or, or this week. Try coming up with your own gospel in seven words. If you want to just steal one of these that are here, there's no copyright on it. Feel free. Okay, if you feel like that really resonates with me, that's something that I, I can use by all means. Um, but maybe take some time and just kind of play with that a little bit. Uh, you could, you know, take inspiration from some of those gospel nutshells that I mentioned already or other ones in the Bible. Um, and just kind of have that at hand and mull that over so that when people ask, and they will, you're like, Oof, what is, you just have this hope. It's such a hopeless time. What, how is it that you're still kind of going on? Well, God, through Jesus, welcomes me anyhow. Oh, tell me more about that, <laughs> you know? A couple other ideas for, ideas for practicing uh, witness. And again, if you go through the neighborhood ambassador training, I'll give you more tools and really walk you through this. But this is one of the things we talk about. Learn the names of your closest neighbors, okay? Learn the names of your closest neighbors. Um, it's really good travesty in modern America, how often we don't even know our neighbors. I realize for some people, like, Amanda, how far is your nearest neighbor, or how close, I should say? Um, that's too far. Quarter of a mile. Okay. <laughs> Quarter of a mile. So, you know, sometimes neighbor isn't all that near. How about you guys? Two letters to you. You've got the one extra. We've talked about your neighbor. Across. 
Trust me. Yeah. Got some. So, um, you know, neighbors, you looked at your parents are your neighbors. Well, sometimes that can be harder to love your neighbors. But, um, you know, learn the names of your of your neighbors. And by neighbors here, using the broad sense, not just the folks that um, you happen to live next door to, but maybe the people you see on a regular basis. The same guy is always the cashier when you go to family fair or shopping center. Hey, what's your name, guy? Um, you know, learn the names of, of these folks. A name is a powerful thing. Something for the summer, host a happy hour or a low-key get-together for your block. Something outside in the driveway. Hey, just gonna be, you know, having some drinks, hanging out. Be very popular at the Danky House. Folks are going by on M22. Just pull right in. That's probably, that'd be frowned upon. Um, oh, another plug here. Register for the next cohort of Neighborhood Ambassador Training to be happening this spring. Participate in an evangelism workshop. So, um, yeah, uh, Pastor Fink is going to be here in June, and he's going to do an all-day kind of workshop seminar thing on June 12th. If you want to save the date, thing Saturday, June 12th, and uh, very excited for that and to, to welcome him out and just when you hear his, his training, his teaching, it's just so low-key, low-pressure kind of stuff, kind of things we've been talking about here. But any um, concluding questions or comments, thoughts about, whether it be about the discipline of witness or any of the ones that we've gone through? Yeah, go ahead, Tony. I think one of the most important things is only three words. Good. Lead by example. Lead by example. Right. Well, we wouldn't want to say, what's the good news? Lead by example. My example stinks, but I think you're right that this is, we do lead by example in the way that we do it and in the lives that we lead so that they do want to, do want to ask and not say, hey, what do you believe in? I believe in Jesus. Okay, because I want to stay away from him. Yeah, we don't want to get to, to that place. And unfortunately, sometimes it does seem like that's the witness of Christians, which is unfortunate. Yeah, go ahead. Let's... Yeah, I had an experience when I was working with a group of uh, in Maine, rebuilding houses before. Cool. And uh, I had that question asked me, well, why do you do this? Right, why are you doing this? And my mind was blank. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, hammer, nails. Blah, 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 blah. Right. You turn into a caveman all of a sudden. Right, so, so to have something a little prepared ahead of time is a, a yep. useful tool. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, right, yeah. And even, you know, phrases from, from the liturgy can be helpful. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's probably seven, but it's from the Bible, so it counts. Um, you know, even think about, I have uh, recently got through a unit on the Apostles' Creed with the confirmation students. And when I teach them the Apostles' Creed, I tell them, what is the Apostles' Creed? It tells the story of our faith. You know, it's more than a nutshell, but somewhere between a nutshell, like your elevator pitch, okay? Uh, where within less than a minute time, you can tell, tell the story. You probably know the Apostles' Creed by heart, even without purposely perhaps trying to teach it. Well, we say the Creed. Can I, can I share that with you? You know, that's something you wouldn't want to just launch into, probably. Somebody asked you, you know, that's a little bit weird. But, well, but if they were like kind of pressing it, like, well, can I just share with you our Creed? Like, oh, really? Okay. Um, so, anyway, I think you're, it's right. It's good to have something ready and prepared already but just remember you will be my witnesses jesus says you will it's his promise you don't have to be a jesus salesperson you're simply a jesus witness it's a grace and a gift his kingdom comes even without our prayer but doggone he lets you and me be part of it so let's
Dear Lord, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity um, to bear witness to your good news. And we do pray, Lord, that you would open doors for us through neighbors and family and friends, and that when those occasions come, that we would um, share the hope that is in us. And we know, Lord, that even when we fail, even when our mouths go dry, and even when we stumble over our words, still, Lord, you are carrying on your word. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, thank you so much. So um, next week, let's see. Two, we're going to take two weeks off from Bible study. Uh, next week is Easter. The week after that, uh, family will be on vacation. So in three weeks, we're going to be starting out with uh, Paul's letter to Philippians. Uh, and uh, entitled that study, Joyful Together. And I'm super excited to get into Philippians. One of my favorite letters. And so uh, please join us for that. Thanks very much. Thank mm -hmm. you.